Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Episode 94 of Below the Belt, slowly, slowly creeping up to episode 100. Um, and it's a new year, 2021. Uh, I'm joined today by uh, Paul Zanon and Luke G. Williams. Happy New Year to you both. Happy, Happy New Year, Cal. Year, Cal. How are we? How, how, how did you spend your festivities? How was your Christmas and your New Year? I, I spent New Year's Eve... Um, watching Bridgerton on Netflix. <laughs> I've heard that's all right, you know. It's all right, it is all right, yeah. It's a bit of a romp, fun romp. Yeah. And it has a character based on Bill Richmond from my book, Richmond Unchanged. Oh, I there it is then. Um, so I was the I was the sort of boxing bore who was saying, no, it wouldn't have been like that. No, that's not accurate. Oh, oh. <laughs> uh, how about you, Paul? Uh, I, I was a, a bit of a mixed bag. My brother's been um, quite ill since about the end of October, so I've, I've pretty much been in hospital every single day, uh, Christmas Day, Boxing Day, etc. But um, uh, going there for about an hour every day, and uh, it's it his birthday today, so I, I, I went there and I'll go back tomorrow, etc. But um, but on the flip side of the coin, um, I, I do a lot of work with um, with people in prisons, and um, I had the uh, a fantastic opportunity to be able to set a creative writing competition for a couple of uh, prisons one in lewis and one up in a place called warrington it's felt like warrington with an e and the one up in uh, warrington was for uh, 15 17 year old sort of uh, youth offenders and that was great they had a really hard task it was 100 words dead on and as we know as writers when you're given like a word limit of say three four five hundred words that's cool you sort of aim to around there you know if you go over 10 words no big deal go under no big deal but to deliver to 100 words is irritating beyond belief because you've got to you know you, you, you can't fully express the way you want to and uh, or you might over express it so they did really really well the lads there it was it was a tough one to pick some winners and um 
And the ones that Dan and Lewis were great. They were theirs was fact or fiction, much longer, about about three thousand words, and uh, some great great stories, some natural storytellers. Um, as I always say, if you're able to speak and sell something, forget about how rubbish it looks on paper. It's the way you communicate it. And these guys did a cracking job of doing that. So hopefully I get a chance to work in more prisons into the future. I've had the opportunity during lockdown to work with three prisons in lockdown. And um, depending on what the dynamic is, lockdown or face to face, hopefully I can do a hell of a lot more of that in the future. It's, it's, it's great work. I love it. Brilliant stuff, Paul. You know, I was just sat home watching Mandalorian and <laughs> saving the world, mate. I like it. I like yeah, it. We, we were watching TV and Paul was out doing something much more useful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ah, I like it. Thanks for that, Paul, showing us all up, mate. Um, wonderful. Um, so, <laughs> one man who kind of showed up a lot of people last night was Ryan Garcia. Um, there was a lot of debate online before the fight about about um who, who they thought would win the fight etc etc luke you did the preview for boxing social for that just remind yeah. us of how you expected the fight to go beforehand yeah well it was a i think it was a very difficult fight to call because as i said in my preview um when you have a contest like that where there's one guy that really has no form line at all at any sort of decent level in ryan garcia you know very hard to predict what's going to happen he could have been completely unraveled and exposed couldn't he um so in the end as i said in my preview it came down to to a hunch and a sort of gut instinct on the eye test what i'd seen i went for i think i went for garcia hanging on for a points win so i got the right winner um i have rate i've always rated ryan garcia since i first saw him um and man i thought it was a thrilling really great way for the boxing year to get underway that fight i really enjoyed it it was a really, really good fight, wasn't it, Paul? It was. Uh, how, how did you? How did you? How did you feel it was going to go beforehand, and how did you feel about the fight once it once it got going? So Ryan Garcia, um, from about his third or fourth fight in, I could spot there was something sensational about this guy, and it's hard to tell at that point because you know he's, he's in with a lot of tomato cans, but it's just the way he was putting his punch together, the speed, his footwork. Um, he plants his feet, but he's phenomenally fast, and that's that's a real sort of contradiction in terms um he's, he's kind of a, a real blend of sort of american mexican style if that makes sense and uh i i think you know he's part of this sort of breed at the moment uh luis ortiz jr uh tiafimo lopez uh tank davis we got some phenomenal guys who can share a weight and share a ring together and uh, i think 2021 stroke 22 we could have some super fight matchups in there um the thing i would say about uh luke campbell is that he seemed a, a little bit slow now. I don't know if that was a case of uh, Ryan Garcia was that quick, but Luke seemed to have lost a little bit of his, his timing. Um, the, the knockdown was beautiful. I wish he'd have followed up on it a bit more. Obviously, his experience was telling him, you sort of, you know, calm down and whatever, but uh, Garcia was genuinely rattled. I mean, the way his arms sort of folded underneath him, you can tell he was in trouble. Fair play, he came back refreshed, and, and that was it. But um, I think overall... Um, if that fight had played out a further 10 times, Garcia would have won it a further 10 times. I, I just want to add, um, Luke, um, Luke Campbell, his integrity as a person, how good he is for boxing. After the fight, I was reading Chris Billiam Smith's um, Twitter feed, and he was talking about how um, Luke was being stopped uh, for interviews, stopped for photos, being stopped for um uh, autographs and he gave every single person his time and he was phenomenally polite 
And uh, a lot of people, especially after you've lost, you know, the last thing you want to do is be around anyone. But that that's not him. He realizes that this is a sport which has afforded him the life he has. And he loves the sport. He genuinely loves the sport. And he's going to have so much to offer, irrespective of which direction he goes after this fight. So um, so hats off to him. Britain should be very proud of um, of Luke Campbell. He's lost against a future, probably multi-weight world champion who's going to leave a trail behind him. Is he going to be as good as Oscar De La Hoya? I didn't see uh, a De La Hoya-esque style performance last night, but can he develop into a similar fighter? Possibly. It, it was an impressive performance and an impressive stoppage. Do uh, Luke, do you think that Luke Campbell was was wary of Garcia's power in the early rounds? Yeah, I think he was a bit wary. Um, I also think, interesting what Paul was saying about the sort of the speed and the timing. I mean, Campbell had been out of the ring a long time since the Lomachenko fight. Um, and I think that possibly, you know, didn't help. Ryan Garcia had been in the ring much more recently. I think February probably, although it was quite a quick blowout. Mm. Um, and to pick up on a couple of good points that Paul made there, um, the way that Garcia plants his feet um, reminds me a little bit. I mean, I love Nassim Hamed, and there is something a bit Hamed-esque about Ryan. I think, you know, defensive frailties, um, big puncher, the flamboyance, you know, the way he came in on that throne. Um, and I just think he's fantastic for boxing. He's got all these millions of Instagram followers. He's going to cross over into the mainstream. I don't think he's going to go on and become one of the greatest fighters of all time but he's going to bring excitement he's going to bring fans and he's going to bring discussion and that's exactly what boxing needs and I, I thought it was a thrilling fight um completely agree with Paul about Luke you know great ambassador you know if you think about the world title shots he's had he's had no favors has he you know he's been up against Linares on away soil pretty much Lomachenko on home soil but you know the pound for pound king and now Garcia on away soil so he He's not been gifted anything, Luke, no. so he can hold his hand up, head up high. Yeah, absolutely. He's 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 had a good career, um, and I think you're right, Luke. What you say about you know 16, 16 month layoff for Luke Campbell to go into a fight against Ryan Garcia on away soil again, you you can't underestimate you know boxing abroad. I think I think it makes such a difference for fighters to fight you know on their on their home territory. It makes me think of you know Carl Froch at you know in Nottingham against uh, Lucien Butte. You know I think if that fight's in Canada, it might be a completely different fight. And I, I, for whatever reason, it's still a ring, it's still a referee, and same size gloves and all that. But it just it does, doesn't it? It makes it makes all the difference. Um, the other thing as well about the knockdown, just to, yes. just to put in there that Paul spoke about. Paul's completely right. That wasn't. Some people describe that as a flash knockdown. That wasn't a flash knockdown. That was a heavy, he was hurt. And, you know, when he went down initially, I thought this fight's probably going to be over this round, you know. So his powers of recovery and his chin, you know, that's impressive stuff from Ryan Garcia there to have fought back from a heavy knockdown like that. The way he crumpled to the floor, you know, it looked like it might be curtains. Yeah, definitely wasn't definitely wasn't a flash knockdown at all. That was heavy. And he looked... He didn't look right for about 30 seconds. And then to his credit, he started to walk Luke Campbell down for the rest of the round, didn't he? It was uh, somebody compared it to Mayweather Mosley online where he just took, you know, got up and just kind of started to to, to walk, walk Campbell down. Um, do you, uh, Paul, um, do you think do you think going forward that that will give you know other fighters more more of a desire to get in the ring with Ryan Garcia and seeing that he can be hurt? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, listen, it's all about the cash money. And, um, you know, he, he brings the, he brings the heat with him. He's got a big mouth. Um, very few quiet fighters these days are going to get very far unless your name is uh, Saul Alvarez. Um, the, the the reality is that, uh, you know, he's a good looking kid. He's uh, he's got the tools. Um, he, he's vastly untested in terms of the number of fights he's had in the caliber of opponents. Luke Campbell's a great great test for him and has sent out some lovely seismic waves to the boxing community at 135, 140. So, um, yeah, like I said, you know, it, with Tank Davis, I think before he goes to someone like Javonta Davis, um, he might need a couple more grueling fights, a couple of opponents which can really take him in the trenches. I saw Jorge Linares calling him out today, basically saying, listen, boy, you know, you're not in my league, you know. Um I'm not sure how much Jorge Linares has got in the tank. I, I kind of written him off about six years ago and then he got resurrected <laughs> like Lazarus and he's been doing good ever since. But um, we lost Paul. You know, oh, he lost. Sorry, are we there? We lost you there, Paul. We lost you there sorry. for a minute, mate. Sorry. You were talking about Jorge Linares. Yeah, Jorge Linares. Yeah, I was just saying, you know, he's he's, he's been resurrected more times than, um, than sort of Lazarus. So I, I kind of wrote him off about six years back. And um, but. He's, you know, I think it'd be a fantastic test. Certainly a good scalp if, if, if Ryan can walk through him. But on the 135 scale between Tiafimo Lopez, um, uh, Tank Davis, and let's not forget Lomachenko. Come on. Yeah, he got he got beaten by um, uh, Tiafimo Lopez, but it doesn't mean to say he's a walkover, you know. So uh, it may be that he's a natural super featherweight if that's the case. But if Garcia is looking to get a scalp on there and, uh, and Lomachenko is willing to jump in the ring with him, then that's what he can do. That would be literally speed and footwork versus uh, power and grit, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, I think there's loads of fights out there for, for Garcia. You know, the, the, the normal one, the, the one that's obvious is Devin Haney, isn't it? Because he's now the mandatory for Devin Haney's title. What would you, I want to go back in a second, Luke, but while we're on the topic, who would you like to see Garcia fight next? Yeah, I'm with Paul. I think if I was, if I was Oscar De La Hoya, or if I was at Golden Boy, I'd want to give him one or two fights if possible before Haney I'd, I'd want to keep him very active as well you know Covid permitting I would say you know let's line up three fights in 2021 to mm-hmm. early 22 um, leading up to the Haney fight maybe about this time next year um, so a couple you know somebody like Richard Comey maybe um, I think Linares is a good shout as well you know with all of his experience but he's got frailties a um, couple of fights like that hype up the, the Haney contest because I think at the moment I'd probably just favour Haney I think Garcia he's only had one one decent challenge one sort of world level um, fight which is probably one more than Haney to be fair but yes. Haney with his skills Garcia needs a bit more seasoning the other thing I'm slightly concerned about I mean obviously working with Eddie Reynoso is a massive plus but Garcia doesn't speak Spanish and in the corner Yes. Dad was translating and yes. I think long term something needs to be done there. Either Reynoso needs to get down to the the uh, English school um, or Ryan Garcia needs to get some Spanish lessons because that's not an ideal arrangement. Um, having someone translating um, instructions uh, in between As, the rounds. Especially his former trainer. Yeah. And his dad. <laughs> He's his dad. Yeah. But 
he was replaced by Eddie Renault. Yeah. So in a you know yes. in a nice way, in the nicest possible way. But he was he re- he was replaced by Eddie Renault. So and there's going to be a temptation on Dad's part. Yes. <laughs> to slightly tweak the translation, exactly. slightly slightly say what he wants him to do instead of what Eddie's telling him to do. Yeah. So it's a it's a real. It's, I think you've got a good point there, and I think it makes more sense for Ryan to learn Spanish. Um, mm. Because I think that just helps with his marketability, really. Mm. Um, Paul, I want to go back to the actual knockout itself because it really was a devastating knockout. Um, how how was you seeing the fight at the time of the stoppage, and what did you think about the stoppage itself? Yeah, I mean, I I, I thought that uh, Garcia was walking him down. To be honest, from uh, within about the first thirty seconds, uh, you could just tell he was it. Um, his punches were were causing discomfort to uh, to Luke Campbell and. Um, Luke was trying to work the sort of counter game at this point. Um, the only way I can describe Ryan Garcia's punches is that they almost look, every punch almost looks like a wild haymaker, the sort of punch that you'd have at a fairground to try and knock one of those balls up to try and get the top score on it. They're not. They're obviously world top time punches, and he practices them a million times. But when he threw that punch to the body, it looked like one of those that he was trying to sort of get the top score on the, uh, on, uh, on, on the circus board. But judging from what I've seen with Canelo when he's been sort of going through the drills or sort of trying to land that punch, it couldn't have been more sort of pitch perfect. It was, it was going up at an angle and it was right under the rib cage, under the floating rib going upwards. It, it was absolutely perfect. Um, I think Luke Campbell said that the way that he positioned himself at the time, there was a split second where he kind of relaxed his body for a second. And then when that happens, you're totally vulnerable. Um, you got some people there saying, Oh, you know, he could have got up and done this, that and the other. Listen, I, I have been popped to the ribs literally very, very lightly, and I thought I was going to crap my pants, never mind trying to get up in 10 <laughs> seconds. So getting hit by Ryan Garcia at full pelt, um, I can only imagine that would have been excruciating. So, yeah, it, it was it was a beautiful punch. Um, you, can't, you can't take anything away from that. Uh, Luke Campbell's probably kicking himself for having maybe left open the gap, but the, the kid's fast. He sees gaps, he goes for it. And like uh, Luke was saying before, he's got that thing about Nassim. And Nassim used to pride himself on the Bruce Lee style of one-inch punches. And uh, Garcia pulls very few punches back. It literally fires off from where he's standing. It goes forward. Very, very little gets pulled back. And that punch, although it be a long sort of range swing, but it came out from the uh, from the tube to an extent, and it went flying out like a bullet. And uh, Campbell just didn't have the chance to see it properly. It, it was there was um, Luke. Um, what is it about Eddie Reynoso fighters and being able to disguise hooks? You think they're going upstairs and they go downstairs. They think they're going downstairs and they go upstairs. What is it about his fighters that that that, that they're able to do that? It's an impressive tactic, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And let's also not forget. I mean, in the the end of the fifth. You know, Ryan had nearly taken Luke out as well, hadn't he? Yeah. He turned his back, Campbell. I mean, that could that could have been the referee could have maybe called it there. The way he reacted to those couple of punches on the temple. Um, so this wasn't a sort of one shot from nowhere. You know, he was looking for the openings. He was finding the openings, and and Campbell was finding the power difficult to handle. So I think if he hadn't landed the punch in that round, it was going to come. It was going to come pretty soon, um, for sure. Impressive. Yeah, it was. It was an impressive performance by Ryan Garcia. And I think I d- it was the perfect fight for him, wasn't it? To see where he is, you know, to see where he is as a talent and to see where he is as a as a, as a contender. Um, I think yeah, yeah, it's, it's going to be exciting watching him. One of the things that was quite noticeable as well was online, 
when the knockdown happened, it was like the golden days of Adrian Broner. <laughs> and when uh, when he got, did you notice any of that, Paul, where the knockdown happened and Twitter just exploded? There seems to be a little bit of love to hate him about Ryan Garcia. Have you noticed that? Yeah, I think any anyone who's got an unbeaten record and they're being a bit boastful, you kind of want to see them fall off their pedestal a little bit. I mean, yeah. I, I often wonder how Rocky Marciano would have done um, in the current day because this guy used to walk across the ring and shake hands with his opponents and was just incredibly polite and never said a bad word about anyone and wished them the best of luck and then went and checked on them afterwards and, and that was it. And uh, he was, you know, the least braggadocio person out there, but... You know, your, your parallel comparisons are uh, Muhammad Ali and Jack Johnson. I mean, I'd have loved to see those two boys on Twitter current day. You know, I mean, Jack Johnson on Twitter. Are you kidding me? There'd be no, uh, apart from maybe Curtis Woodhouse, there's no one I can really think who would have been able to give him a good sort of run for his money, you know. So, uh, but um, but yeah, Ryan Garcia is one of those people that he's got a good mouth in him as well as a good um, a good punch. And um, uh, a lot of people want to see him fail. Like, again, Luke was saying, you know, the sort of Prince Nassim, a little bit outspoken, not as, as outspoken as Nas, but... Um, but that's what makes him marketable. He's a good-looking lad. He speaks a bit of trash, but he can back it up in the ring. I, I don't know about you, Luke, but I think Jack Johnson would have been a TikTok man. <laughs> <laughs> I could see him driving down the road and, and giving the $100 bill to the police officer and saying, here's the fine. I'll be coming back the same way I went past. Um, I could see that being on TikTok. I don't know about you, Luke. Um for sure, for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's it was just it was funny to me, and it, again, it just made me it made me hark back to the Adrian Broner days when everybody hated Adrian Broner. Even Barry Jones, who's like the nicest bloke in the world, was like delighted that Adrian Broner lost it. It was it was just one of those things. I think one of the, I think one thing you can say about the Garcia family is that they've got good sperm. <laughs> <laughs> Did you catch that, Paul? Okay, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, quote of the year. I, I wasn't expecting like John Rawling to say that, um, or uh, <laughs> or any of that sort of that like, sort of uh, you know, anyone of that ilk. Um, but Kate can kind of get away with it, and uh, if you know, people sort of just sort of raise their eyebrows and go, okay, let's see what's next, you know. So, um, but uh, yeah, obviously we all know what she's sort of uh, she, she, she's saying, but um, yeah, rather. Um, rather outspoken, but but good. I liked it. I thought it was quite fun. Um, I, I imagine Adam Smith would have would have had a fit if, if, <laughs> if somebody would have said something like that. God, they apologise for for swearing at three o'clock in the morning on Sky, but DAZN seems to have more of a more of a liberal kind of approach to it. Uh, Luke, what did you what did you what did you think about um, the coverage overall? The DAZN is that the first like card you've watched on DAZN? Um. No, what was the fight that they had? They had a fight recently, didn't they? I watched the Canelo fight. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Look, the coverage has taken a lot of knocks, hasn't it? I mean, people have been really laying into it online. And OK, so for me, the main gist of the criticism seemed to be the sort of partisan way they were talking Garcia up. You right. know, yeah. when Campbell knocked him down at the criticism was you know they were talking much they were giving him lot much more credit for getting up than Campbell for putting him there in the first place that sort of thing and I think that's fair comment you know it was it was partisan it was biased but you know which broadcaster really isn't I mean Sky Sports you get much the same if not worse um, and even I know people you know we hark back to the great days of 
of Harry Carpenter. We hark back to the great days of Ian Dark. But, you know, Ian Dark commenting on the Prince Nassim fights, you know, if that was around today, they, they'd be also be slayed for being partisan. Harry Carpenter, get in there, Frank. Partisan once again. So I don't think it's anything different to what we've seen in the past. The only thing I would say with The Zone is because it's obviously a platform that goes across many, many countries, they maybe need to be a bit more careful or cautious about that. And maybe in the future, they might have different broadcasters in different territories because the fact we were getting the sort of the, the, the US team, as it were, mm. um, as a British viewer might might have alienated some people. So that's maybe something for them to think about. But, you know, they're, they're new kids on the block. They're just starting out. So I'm going to cut them a break on that. What, what did you think about the is that the is that the first show you've watched on the zone, Paul? No, like Luke, I watched the um, um, the Canelo one as well, and uh, I'll be honest. I mean, for the uh, for the price, I think it is seriously a good value for money. Um, it, it was Sergio Mora last night, wasn't it, on commentary? Yeah, yeah. yeah the Latin Snake um, contender, Series One uh, winner. Um, I actually really enjoyed it. I, I think, to be honest, you know, they're probably sort of taking stock of each show and sort of saying, how can we build on this, and that uh, they realise that. Uh, they, you know, they've got a way to go and um, and that's it and all eyes on them. But I, I genuinely believe that if the cost is that low and are able to, main, you know, we're obviously expecting it to go up at some point. But if they can maintain uh, a cost cutting exercise, sort of undercut everyone else and still provide loads of fights, I think they won't really mind if Mr. Bean's on commentary for half the fights as long as we can actually see it. I mean, there's certain fights where I'll be honest, certain British commentators, when they start opening their mouth, I hit the mute button and just watch the fight. I cannot bear listening to their crap and uh, misjudgments and uh, and bias and uh, and total lack of knowledge and um honestly it's a noise the hell out of me sometimes so i'm not really too concerned about who's behind the mic i mean when you look at say espn sometimes you've got the likes of say lennox and um, andre warden there i mean I, I i sometimes look forward to just listening to them instead of the fights it's just so great to listen to such great champions but mm. um i like i like the zone at the moment and uh like i said i think as a platform they've got a lot to build up there um they could be a world leader um we'll have to see i mean eddie hearn might have other plans you know yeah yeah i i enjoy, i enjoyed it and like you and like you said paul i think a lot of the time and i do that with sky where i'll watch it on sky but i'll have the volume quite low i want some noise i do want a bit of noise but i just don't want to really hear some of the commentary um so i completely understand why you, why you might do that um paul and i think like you said the options there to do it with design as well um I like Sergio Mora. I didn't like he kept getting interrupted by Chris Mannix. Um, that was a bit annoying. Um, but I like listening to Sergio Mora. Um, Todd Grisham was OK. I remember when he was the C-grade commentator on WWE. Um, fair play to him that he's now doing the um, zone as well. There was a little bit of delay, wasn't there? They would pass back to Gareth A. Davies and, and Ricky Hatton over in over here in London. And they were there was that little bit of delay. That I think you're right, Luke. I think they're going to have to work that out. And it might just be having some commentators from over here. Perhaps bring Ian Dark back, you know, and have him do some of the fights on the zone, you know, from the UK, from a studio in London or something like that. Um, I think there's they've got a lot of options, but I'm really looking forward to see what they can come up with. There was some discussion on... There was some discussion online earlier in the week that about people's dream commentary team. And it, Paul, it can't be us. It can't <laughs> pick any of us. Um, mm. Between you both, who would you have, dead or alive, 
who would your dream commentary team be? It's just mm. say three three commentators and maybe a couple of analysts. Okay, so basically, I mean, if it's not us three, we're looking at the second best uh, commentary yeah. team. Then um, I, I this is a real sort of wild card throw in, but um, I used to love watching Eurosport and, and listening to Steve Holdsworth. Yes. I, um, I thought he was fantastic. He, he, Steve Holdsworth, you just found like he, he, the way he was talking. You almost felt like you were sitting in a pub watching it ringside with him. There was a great warmth about him and he was very, very knowledgeable. Um, I'm not really a massive... I, I like him dark and I think he's, he's great what he's done, but I think he's more of a, a football um, head, to be honest, as opposed to a sort of boxing, so he wouldn't get it. Um, Ray Cosell, I think, chuck in there for comedy factor. He wasn't the uh, most knowledgeable person and he was he, he, he did sort of um, step on quite a few toes, but I... I think he would be good entertainment value to chuck in the mix. He, Steve Holdsworth would be probably the most knowledgeable one to throw in there. And number three is going to be someone we've already mentioned today, and he lives around the corner from me here, is little Bazza Jones. I love Barry Jones. I think his knowledge on the sport is great. He speaks from the heart. And, um, you know, despite the fact that, um, you know, Prince Patel could beat the crap out of him. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> the reality is that, you know, Barry was a very good fighter, a very good amateur. He's a very modest guy. I love his dry sense of humour. And I, I think those three together um, could be one hell of a show. Yes. What about you, Luke? What would your dream kind of commentary team be? So this is past or present. It's a tough past, one. Past, present, dead or alive. Yeah. So I, I was a big Ian Dark fan. Um but I think probably if I was looking at my dream team, I think I'd have to have um, Jim Lampley in there, um, who I think was a great sort of front man. Um, so I definitely have Lamps. Um, I've got a big soft spot for Harry Carpenter just from 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 growing up and his enthusiasm. Um, and often from me- I don't know if this is true, but from memory, I often remember him being on there on his own. Yeah. didn't often have a summariser with him so he had to right. do do it all himself which must be you know very difficult nobody to bounce off <clears throat> um if we're talking expert analyst i think emmanuel stewart used to do great great work when he was on hbo so i'd probably plump for manny as well um but if we're talking about present day if i had to assemble a team i'd definitely get barry jones in there i think actually he's the best sort of former pro summariser that there is around You've absolutely nailed that, uh, Luke. They're bo- both of those are great, but I was thinking Manny Stewart. Manny Stewart was my favourite. I used to love listening to him speak. I thought he was brilliant. Um, and Jim Lampley as well. Jim Lampley was great. Um, it's, it's, a, it's actually it's an injustice that Jim Lampley isn't covering boxing um, right now. Obviously, he's very loyal to HBO, and that's mm. fair play to him. I think he's doing other things with them, but you can see like how passionate he is about the sport um and he, he never you know i never forget the the gatty ward documentary where he's talking about round nine of the first fight and he actually breaks down in tears and starts crying just talking about a fight and it's like there's so much passion there so i can absolutely see why you'd pick uh jim lampley um yeah absolutely and how Cassell was on there's just yeah there's there, we've, we've been blessed to, to watch so many fights and watch them uh, and to see so many different different people but yeah some good some good shouts there um what did we think about the mc as well i wanted to ask you guys about the mc and about how he butchered shane mcguigan's name did you guys notice that you know what i, I managed to miss that i was writing i was finishing my report for boxing social of the alvarado brothers uh ah. and then i was sort of 
tuned out a bit to the introductions and then I saw all of these people on Twitter sort of saying, what's he done? What's it done? So, <laughs> so you got to fill me in on what actually happened because I missed that. It was really, really odd. They, 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 they was in Luke Campbell's corner and the MC was just doing these. I never actually heard him introduce Ryan Garcia, basically. <laughs> The camera was on Luke Campbell and it just stayed on Luke Campbell. And then suddenly it was introductions. But he just completely butchered Shane McGuigan's name, just completely butchered it. And then Shane McGuigan today on Twitter was basically signed off Shane McGuigan or whatever. <laughs> he, actually, he actually took it in, in really, really. It, it, he took it quite well. So so fair play to him, to be fair. I think um, um, if memory serves me years ago, uh, Don King uh, introduced um, uh, at some conference. uh Barry McGuigan is that Barry McGuigle and um <laughs> and forever think he just could not get McGuigan and um yeah I, th- I think probably the best sort of um misspelling of a name and it's probably one of the most simple names you could get in terms of being correct and now the two of them always have the banter on Twitter is um uh, is Michael Buffer uh, announcing Darren Baker um in <laughs> And uh, yeah, ever since then, he's, he's been, you know, Baker and he always, you know, he always winds him up about that, you know, so uh, yeah. It's got to be one of the worst things for a, for an MC, isn't it? To just to get a name wrong like that. It's got to be, it's got to be awful because that, that's like your job. It's like the one thing you've got to do and to get that wrong, it must be so annoying. Um, yeah, I, I, um, I did an interview with, um, with Michael Buffer a few years ago for uh, um, our favourite magazine, uh, Boxer Monthly. And um it was it was great listening to how we kind of got into being an MC and the first few times he was trying a few taglines and I can't remember what it was but it, it was using some sort of military term and he said that the whole arena was dead not a single sound he was thinking yeah that, that really didn't work too well and then then he messed up a few names and that was it but I remember there was, there was a lovely little story in there um uh after a sort of challenge in the face of adversity from his side he, he got throat cancer and he had this operation I think they found about like three um sort of nodules on his on his throat which um needed to be sort of cut off and um he said after the operation he said there i am this bandage and he said it's sort of around my eyes um around my uh, my neck he said the only bit that was open he says was my mouth and he says i suddenly come out of recovery i've woken up i've looked around i've realized where i am i've had a good look in the room to see no one's there and he said on my own i just went ladies and gentlemen <laughs> just to see i still had it <laughs> amazing is 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 luke is is buffy your favorite mc is he your favorite uh i i i i probably put him up front uh, jimmy lennon jr very close behind um crikey that's i mean that's that's a conversation to be had um you know going down going down the years and certainly looking at a certain uh, a group of british mcs as well um oh crikey yeah i'd probably put buffs at the top there but if i got my thinking cap on i could probably come up with a top 20 with very very little pressure um o- over the years there's some great ones in america if, if a few in italy I, you know I, I love craig stephen at the moment um he's gone to italy and he's he's really picked up the accent and um they love him out there you know he's he, uh, pretty much throughout lockdown whenever i was corresponding on on, on text on whatsapp whatever he'd be like I'm, I'm in milan for the next two weeks and i'm i'm back for two days and i'm off again and they love him out there and uh, I, th- I think he's got the right sort of personality character and sort of uh, stature for it so yeah now buff's probably the top lennon jr second but a long list to be built there agree with that luke yeah, I can't argue with that. Buff, buffer number one. Um, I've always wondered how many royalties he gets from the Anton Deck song. Did you ask him? <laughs> <that>? <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> you know, I, I've got to say with him, um, when I when I got in touch with him, I actually got in touch with his brother Bruce, who uh, yeah. is like does the announcement for the WWE, and I got this email address from someone um, in in the boxing trade, and um, I was kind of expecting just no response, and that was it, and having to sort of you know do my usual sort of bounty hunter type thing. But he responded within about an hour and he said, when would you like to speak to Michael? And I was kind of like, uh, when's he available? And he was like, well, you give me a time. I went, how about X tomorrow? And it was like, cool, I'll let Michael know. Here's his landline. I was like, wow, okay. And I called him up and it was great. I mean, it, it, he just speaks in that way. And it was like, good afternoon, this is Michael speaking. And I was like, <laughs> I just want to hear you talk for a minute you know there's anything you know it's kind of like just, just one of those voices like morgan freeman it, it could be saying oh, i was putting the rubbish out and it was chicken <laughs> box there or you know the lasagna from last night was stinking it doesn't matter what they're saying it's gonna sound fantastic and despite the fact that buffer's tone sounded great the content was absolutely fantastic it really was he's got a great story and um i think he's uh he's been a phenomenal addition to um to the boxing uh when you see him there you know doing the orchestra bit for sweet caroline at the o2 um he loves that he really gets in the groove um but it's kind of like when there's the big big fights you get all the build-ups for the other mcs and then he's been brought in purely for one fight they've paid him whatever tens of thousands of pounds which he deserves um to announce that one big fight the anthony joshua fight the didion white fight whatever it may be so you know when he steps in the ring the big fight is up yeah he definitely he adds a sense of occasion doesn't he to and you know significance it feels like an event um when buffer's in the house for sure <laughs> yeah you're right you're right and you'll 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 see that they'll have david diamante and you know to do the undercard and then they'll get buff in the ring for the main event and i i think you're right it, and that's just from doing it for a long time and i think he just adds that that sense of occasion i'm a jimmy lennon jr man myself i i, I think he's brilliant um what i love about him i love his voice obviously but i also love that he never makes a mistake like he just he's just brilliant and uh i remember seeing one time him on on twitter um he's a massive key ring collector um (laughs) yeah like he's proper into key rings um and um yeah because i I follow him on twitter i don't uh, follow many many mcs on twitter but i do follow jimmy lennon jr he's really into key rings um and he doesn't make a mistake and i remember somebody saying on their why did you pronounce Vasily Lomachenko like that? And he said, because I went into his dressing room and I asked him how to pronounce his name. <laughs> and it was just the small things, the small little interactions is what kind of what makes it worth it. And those small details that he picked up is brilliant. Um, it looks like, you know, after last night, that we're not going to see much boxing for a while. I checked the Sunday puncher calendar, um, which is brilliant, by the way. Everyone should have the Sunday puncher calendar on their phone. Um, and... There's not much going on. And then the British board announced today that they're suspending um, boxing for the rest of the for the rest of January, at least. Um, Luke, is that sensible decision? I mean, I guess in some respects, although I'd like to know what's going on with other sports. I mean, if if premiership football is presumably carrying on, why, why can't boxing? So I'm a little bit puzzled if it was a sort of nationwide. Everything's locked down. I would understand it. But. I don't know how many shows were planned. There were there were two match room at the end of the month, weren't there? Josh Kelly, I think, and um, yeah. who was the other one? Can't remember who the other one was now. Um, so it seems a bit of a strange decision when I can't imagine there were masses of shows, um, and, I th- and it looks like there's other sport going on. So um, I don't know. For me, that's a bit of a head scratcher. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think if, if you're worried about the transmission of COVID, obviously we're in the middle of a, a horrible, um, absolutely vile pandemic. Um, the only thing I would say is that the bubbles seem to have worked quite well. And, um, you know, people have been flushed out, uh, you know, events have been called off after someone's been tested positive. If they're worried about that and they're worried about maybe something slipping through the net, then instead of having one or two COVID tests, have four or, or six tests, wherever it may be, sort of basically say this is pretty much conclusive. The the probability of someone getting six COVID tests and all six of them um, going under the radar after being positive is going to be very, very small. Um, before, before I forget, um, it just suddenly popped into my mind. Uh, th- the other fight that we haven't mentioned that has happened this year already as well it happened in Japan, and um, yes, uh, Ioka against Tanaka, and um, that was an absolute barn burner. I've got to say, if you're going to compare fight for fight, the the Garcia and the Campbell fight was a cracking fight, but the Tanaka Ioka fight, I mean, it, it, this this was the uh, the Japanese sort of Barrera Morales almost. I mean, yeah, it was Ioka was um, was you know sort of a, a cut above. But Tanaka was unbeaten, uh, you know, who come again, he's a young gun. Um, but WBO flyweight, at that weight, people tend to bounce around on their feet and pop and move and whatever else. These two were standing there like a couple of cruiserweights. They were banging each other. It was beautiful movement. For me, I thought that was that was a fantastic start to the uh, to the boxing calendar. Thank you for reminding me about that, Paul. I did uh, I did manage to catch. I don't have Box Nation, and it did. It reminded you of the golden days of Box Nation, wasn't it? It was just a a, a couple of fighters that. Perhaps the casual fan wouldn't have heard of, but they just served up some brilliant action. Did you watch it, Luke? Yeah, I caught it a, a day or two later. Yeah, amazing fight. Um, I mean, Japanese boxing at the moment is on a real high, isn't it? I mean, so many quality fighters at those lower weights. Mm-hmm. Um, be nice to see those fights and some of those fighters get a bit more exposure um, and, and recognition. Um, and knew he's been starting to get it with with his deal with top rank and, and long may it continue because there's some amazing talent over there and a lot of enthusiasm for the sport which is great yeah and and super flyweight is such a brilliant division oh. as well um we're about to have the estrada chocolatito rematch i think that's next month um you've still got rung Versailles hanging around um you still got um yeah and nkas around it's a brilliant division bantamweight's great as well but you know super superfly is such a good division and if if people you know i think if, if for people out there that didn't see that fight go online and look for it it's not hard to find i found it within about two minutes of looking for it on, mm. on uh, it was friday it was new year's eve wasn't it it was on new year's eve's thursday um it's, it's the thing it's the one thing about you know about the japanese Three things are guaranteed, death, taxes and boxing on New Year's Eve. <laughs> they just love their New Year's Eve boxing. And it's, um, you know, last year, <laughs> obviously, we had that the Mayweather shit show. And then this year we've got we had, you know, a, you know, a, a very, very late contender for, for fight for fight of the year. Um, it was a it was a brilliant a brilliant match. So yeah, thanks for reminding me about that, Paul. It was a and and Cal, speaking of um, the the upcoming um, Estrada um, chocolate yes. yeah. Um, there was a lot of discussion on Twitter about the potential for the the lightweights to produce a new Four Kings series here and so on. But as someone pointed out on Twitter, and as I was thinking about as well, we've already got the modern day Four Kings. It's Gonzalez, Rungvasai, Estrada and Quadras. Yes. Um, And I believe I did a little calculation before I came on tonight. I think when they have that rematch, uh, is it in March? February. February. 
I think that will take that series to nine fights, if I did my calculations correctly, which is the same as we had with the original Four Kings. So they could actually surpass the number of fights if, if, if a few more of them meet up. So that is a special quartet of fighters. It is, it is. And uh, you you were right, Luke, it is March, uh, 13th of March, that one. Um, that's, yeah, I cannot wait for that. If I think if there was one fight that I wanted to see announced this year, if I had a wish for 2021, it was to see Chocolatito against Estrada too. Um, yeah, it's 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 going to be something else. Um, I really want Quadras to win, get a win though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. He's got sure. that one, um, technical decision over Rungvisai, hasn't he, on, on a cup. A few a dodgy cut. Yeah. Um, I want them to have a rematch and I want Quadras to just get one more win. Just just so he's not I don't like it that he's yeah. he's got like I think he's got like one win and then he's got like five losses or something. I just really feel bad for him. Um <laughs> so I just really I know I just really I know we shouldn't think like that. Um obviously last year was really shit <laughs> and and weird. Um but in terms of you know but, you know, it's, the, it's that time of year or that time of, you know, over the Christmas period where people were talking about, the, you know, their fighters of the year and all of that kind of thing. Um, Boxing Social, did they give it to Tiafimo Lopez, Luke? He did, yeah. yeah. Uh, who was your pick? Was he your he pick? Was my pick? He was my pick and he won, so I was quite pleased with that. Um, I just think, you know, in a year where very few people, you know, had more than one fight, um, he had the most significant win. Um, against Lomachenko obviously the other people I thought were contenders were Tyson Fury Canelo and also someone a couple of other people who I thought deserved a shout out for fighter of the year although I I couldn't give it to I think Jessica McCaskill for Mm -hmm. her win against uh, Cecilia and also um, Emmanuel Navarrete who I think was probably the only world champion to have three fights last year although one was a non-title which is pretty impressive during a pandemic to have fought three times, um, two of them world title fights. So I think he deserves a little shout out. But yeah, for me, Lopez. Did you agree with that, Paul? Is that who you kind of felt was your fighter of the year, Tiafimo Lopez? I, I actually went with, despite the inactivity after the fight, but I, I went with Tyson Fury. Okay. Um, simply due to the uh, the magnitudes of the, uh, the event, everyone thought that um, the way he sort of, you know, uh, resurrected himself in that final round against uh, Wilder and, you know, came down from a, a few knockdowns. Everyone thought, well, it's going to be curtains from the next one. It's going to be finished quickly and that'll be Tyson Fury and he'll disappear and go off the rails and whatever else. But um, the, the, the way that he systematically just ran over Wilder, um, really flipped the script and did it in a sort of, a, you know, a, a phenomenal way. Um, so I, I'd give him the, um, the the shout. Probably my second one, um, which which I was mentioning is Katie Taylor, and um, I, I think she's done incredibly well over the years. She's a phenomenal ambassador for the sport. Um, she's very very polite. I mean, McCaskill. There's there's some great little matchups out there at the moment. You know, McCaskill's um, uh, win over Breakhouse was uh, was fantastic, and the only sort of blip she's really got there is um, is, is Katie Taylor, something she'd love to avenge. Uh, Amanda Serrano winner, who's a, a 47 weight world champion. Um, <laughs> I think she's done everything from like five pounds up to 600 pounds. Uh, God knows how she's been able to do that. I mean, literally, if you look at her resume, some of the fights are not that far away, and she's literally jumping up in stones. So, but um, but Serrano's a, a great great battle. I think the only person she she's ever lost against um, is the, the the Swedish lady who ended up with the, the brain injury. I've completely forgotten her name now. Um, but anyway. But, Serrano, very, very good. But I think that um, 
Katie Taylor for me would be a very, very close second uh, to Tyson Fury. Um, but Lopez, I mean, listen, those three, Lopez, Fury and, and Taylor for me, all three of them deserve a piece of that winning pie. Yeah, it was tough. And, you know, Ring Magazine went for joint winners, didn't they? Because it was it's such a unique year that they ended up just picking Tyson Fury and Tiafimo Lopez in the end, which I kind of understand. Um, both both have got, you know, uh, you know, a, a valid claim. Um, what was I sent you guys the list earlier of like the upsets of the year, the, you know, the biggest upsets of the year. What was what was OK? I'm going to ask you two questions. Um, one was what 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 one of those fights was perhaps the biggest shock to you, uh, Paul? So got to answer this one carefully, because if you sort of say, you know, that this was a real shock in the result, it almost makes it sound like the person who, who won was shite. But um, it's not really that at all. It's just a sort of a case of, you know, the, the general sort of consensus of everyone and, and then how it actually sort of panned out. Um, the John O'Carroll, uh, Maxi Hughes fight for me was probably the one that, um, you know, I, I thought went um, went the way that nobody thought it would. Mm. And uh, I remember interviewing Maxi Hughes back in about 2012, latest 2013 for uh, for Daily Sport. And um, he'd only had a handful of fights. And I remember his his name Maxi is not actually his first name, I believe, on his birth certificate. It was actually from his grandfather. He sort of adopted it, and um, who I believe had done a bit of boxing. Um, but Maxi Hughes always comes in cracking shape. He, he trains his absolute backside off. He was a Southern Era champion. There wasn't a lot to a resume. I think he had like to to accompany his 14, 15 wins or however many it was, probably less wins than that at the time. He had five losses and a couple of draws. And John O'Carroll was, you know, come off beating uh, Scott Quigg and. Um, was he, he'd also lost um, uh, the, the fight in America for the world title as well. So he was world grade stock. And um, Maxi Hughes went in there and uh, and he just stuck to a very simple game plan of basically sort of trying to break Carroll down and not give him the space to get his shots off. And, and it worked. And it was a great fight. And I think John O'Carroll will come back and will sort of, you know, continue to rise up again. And he's a great fight and they're both great for the sport. But for me, that was the one that I don't think many people saw coming. I think that's a good shout, and I think I think he it was at a weight that wasn't comfortable for John O'Carroll. It was you know uh, Maxi Hughes weighed 137 pounds. He was over lightweight, um, so I think that was a that was one where perhaps like you said, John O'Carroll was just a little bit out of his depth weight wise, and had taken a fight perhaps that he thought he was going to win anyway, and was just kind of yeah, it was just kind of just wasn't his night. Luke, what was the one that what was kind of the biggest shock for you out of, out of that list that we were talking about earlier on? Um, I've got to give one shout out before that. When I'm yeah. going back to the fighter of the year, I should have mentioned um, Terry Harper had three world title fights last year and two wins and a draw. Um, so along with Navarrete, you know, incredibly active. Um, going on to the upsets, I mean, Cal, you sent out Fight, Go- Fight Ghost from Twitter, who if anybody yes. doesn't know him, you've got to follow Fight Ghost um, if you're interested in the betting side of boxing. Every year... He collates the list of the biggest upsets by, by in terms of the odds. Um, and it's fascinating reading. So the biggest upset of the year was um, Tyson Lantry beating Luke Jackson, um, if you look at it purely in terms of the odds. But yeah. I think upset of the year, it's not just about the odds, is it? I think no. just like fight for me, fight of the year, I, I would never give fight of the year to a small hall fight, no matter how brilliant it is, because I think it has to be something that has an impact on a bigger stage. So for me... Um, although I think Maxi Hughes is a great shout, uh, possibly Rosario against Julian Williams is another was another big shock. Mm. For me, the the upset of the year is is Lopez Lomachenko because 
Lomachenko was the pound for pound king. Yeah. Virtually everybody was picking Lomachenko to win. I think Boxing Social's survey, it was like 15-1 or something in favour of Lomachenko. So for me, because of the size of the event, um, I think that factors into it for me. For me. So I, I would go with Lopez upsetting Loma. Yeah, I, I think that's a... I think that's a great shout. I, I, you know, I remember thinking Lomachenko is going to move him around. I think he's just going to move him around because we'd seen Tiafimo Lopez. He, you know, um, it, it stopped Comney and it was like, yeah, cool. And then, but then, but this is Lomachenko. This is different. This is a different gravy. And but he was brilliant. He was brilliant on the night. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see if he can, if he can take it into the, into the next year and you know defending the titles and hopefully we do get something. Uh, like the four kings um i want you guys now um and i didn't tell you about this beforehand so apologies um i want you guys now to kind of look into your crystal ball and tell me what you kind of feel might happen next year something big i'll start i'll start just to help you guys out tiafimo lopez loses a fight next year bold call bold call so anything like that you've got in your back pocket chaps uh Virgil Ortiz Jr. um gets a shot at any world title and wins it anything from uh 140 up to 147 um I can't see anybody stopping him um he's uh, that's a, a man with a hell of a lot of power I remember chatting to him when he was uh uh John Ryder was out there um in, in America and Ryder was about 185 and was cooking down to the super middle and they sparred rounds and they were they were knocking lumps at each other and uh uh, Ryder afterwards sort of saying he's <laughs> he was given as good as he's getting you know what 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 weight does he fight and it was like about 140 and I was like what uh, it makes no <laughs> sense you know so so yeah for me Virgil Ortiz Jr. Cam I reckon if he was chucked into a uh, a world title in his next fight he could win it how quickly that comes and how quickly his dad wants him to do it um, yeah I also think that um, Tank Davis will lose a fight you heard it oh I like it that's what we want <laughs> yeah. Come on, the reason I say that is so, that Leo Santa Cruz month, was, month, he was 63 Avni years old. Avni Yildirim. Avni Yildirim. No, not really. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a hard one, man. You know what? I, if Usyk Joshua happens this year... I've got, a lot, <laughs> I've got a lot of time for Usyk. I think he's a phenomenal talent. And actually, until the Chisora fight, I would have tipped him to beat AJ, but... I just think that Usyk's body's falling apart a little bit. Um, bit of wear and tear. Um, but but to throw something out there, I'm going to say Usyk to upset Joshua. And spoil, purely because all the plans for Joshua Fury have to be spoiled somehow. Um, because that's boxing, isn't it? For the, for, the, for the big one to get away. Oh, I like it. I like it. Oh, that was great. I, I, I wanted to put you guys in the spot and make you say something really outrageous. Um, we di- oh, There was a question that um, we had a question uh, on Twitter earlier. I did put out for questions. We did get one. Uh, do we think that we will see all the all these lightweights under the age of 25, Tank, Garcia, etc., Haney? Do we think they'll fight each other uh, in the near future? Uh, so basically... The thing that gives them financial attraction is being world champions. And if they start fighting each other, then they're going to lose that and the promoters lose that and they don't like that. So um, I would say they'd want to uh, put their horses out as studs to go and sort of play the field as much as possible before sort of like signing them off to be burger meat. You know, I think mm. um, 
ultimately at the moment we have some phenomenal uh, talent there you know again a sort of a four kings type uh, scenario between the likes of uh, Davis etc there um if they were to create a a world boxing super series and uh, and those guys would be willing to fight in it that would be sensational it would be absolutely sensational will it happen absolutely no way <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm with paul on that i think you know when you look at the promotional divides that you've got you know preventing some of those fights at the moment those divides can only be bridged really for a super fight can't they yeah. you know for something massive and none of those guys are at the level of a super fight you know that, that transcends the sport at this point so they're, they're not going to happen i mean obviously haney garcia uh, are both with the same promoter so that's the or the, or the same network so that's the most likely one but yeah and the, obviously I, I tried to get a scoop for you Cal. I, I texted kalasawa Kawas- today to see if there was any update on world boxing super series season three yeah and the update is that there will be an update at the end of January. So <laughs> in terms of an exclusive. Brilliant. Brilliant. I love it. I always love it when when people say, people announce their announcements. <laughs> to be fair, I texted him, so it wasn't yeah. something you put out there, but yeah. No, I appreciate that. That was because great. I'm uh, where, where the WBSS goes next. You know, yeah. I think if I could name one thing from the last 10 years of boxing that I think has, you know, genuinely shaken up the sport in a good way it would be the wbss um and i'm praying that it continues to have the success that it's had so far in sort of creating champions and you know and stars it's made it's made boxing stars i i totally totally agree i, I remember was it the, was it the world box uh, sorry um the super six where andre yes. ward won and it was a uh, carl frotch and taylor etc and uh, that that for me, I remember watching it at the time, thinking the best to fight and the best here. The, the belts are exchanging hands, and the person's going to wake, walk, you know, walk away with the royalties. And um, well, the spoils of war to an extent. Um, I, I was lucky to attend in January 2018 uh, Usyk against uh, Breedis, and uh, I actually had Breedis winning it by one round. And uh, it's not because I don't like Usyk. I thought they're both great fighters, but I thought he just nicked. And the the, the I was there with Chris Williamson. We had a phenomenal time absolutely phenomenal time and then uh, the month later i just made a snap decision like a week before and i went to nuremberg and um, saw callum smith fight against a kickboxer but uh but it was despite the fact that um it was a last minute replacement and there was you know a few undercards and half the place was empty because uh, they'd given them sort of tickets back and it was minus 20 outside the whole atmosphere for world boxing super series is absolutely fantastic it really is and uh you know echoing luke's words in there um I, I think it's great for the sport and i'd like to see every division have it twice over um in, in the coming years if i had a pound for every time you and chris have told me about latvia <laughs> i'm so jealous. i'm so jealous i'll tell you what the, the, the funny thing is we, we almost didn't make the fight uh we, we got there um very late on the friday like very late and uh had a few hours kip and then so let's explore the town so we explored the town for all of like four and a half minutes before we found the bar serving beer and then we walked in and um we're having a couple of pints of beer and thinking wow this is this is strong stuff hadn't really checked that it was near like seven percent alcohol and then the guy said Would you like um some food and we we're like yeah you know what can you recommend he said i'd recommend the speciality in latvia and riga here which is the spare ribs we went cool well he, he appeared with his board and the rib cage was like bigger than the original animal. I've never seen anything so big in my life. So me and Chris dug into that a few more pints. By this stage, it's about 4.30 in the afternoon. And we looked at each other and said, mate, 
I need to get some kip in. If, if I don't get some kip and about three sort of litres of black coffee in me, I'm, I'm going to be in a bad way. And so we ran out of there, headed back, had two hours of really, really intense sleep, met somewhere else in town, went up to um uh, up to the arena, and it was in the minus figures with the temperature, so that woke us up. And then we got in and whoosh, that was it. The adrenaline was running. There were some great fights. I think um, Philip uh, Herkovich was was on the um, undercard, and um, it, 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 it was just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. It was the whole of Latvia turned out, the whole of Ukraine as much as you could turned out in there. And as opposed to some fights I've seen, at, say the Copper Box and the O2, where the rival gangs, should I say, start going for each other's throats, People are hugging and exchanging scarves and everything else. It was a great, great atmosphere. And yes, and Chris and I will continue to talk about the Latvia tales <laughs> to our dying days. There's probably a, a small book to be written at some point, so watch out. You know? yeah. It's a shame, actually, that the, the final was meant to be there, Bredis uh, Dortikos, um, and, and the pandemic put paid to that. And actually, Bredis, what, that was a great performance. Um, Beautiful. It's been mentioned much in dispatches at the end of the year, but Breedis' performance against Dortikos was, was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Was. Luca Rossi and I were were all um, planned the tickets um, for for the uh, for the final. We had the uh, uh, the hotel, um, the plane, everything sorted. And uh, I was in touch with Peter Banky at the time, saying, "Is it happening? Is it happening?" He says, "Can't say anything yet. Follow Twitter." And it was kind of like um, it was going from a twenty thousand arena capacity to we're doing it five thousand now, and then it went to an exclusive group of just media, two hundred people to nothing and it was in the space of hours it kept chopping really quickly so yeah but thankfully as Luke said it was a cracking fight Bridges and Dorty cost two phenomenal cruiserweights in brackets not bridge weights and um and I thought it was it, it was a great way to uh to chuck a bit of spice into the uh in into the lockdown um square ring you know yeah it was one more question before we go um so it's somebody asked me this the other day and uh, I had an answer, but I'm interested in what your answer would be. And this was after the Canelo fight against Callum Smith. Um, what does Canelo Alvarez have to do to surpass Floyd Mayweather? Luke. Um, fight people when they're in their prime. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that, that's for you, Cal. <laughs> um, to surpass Floyd Mayweather. Um well, I've sort of got a hit, you know, I think he's got a, a hit list of five or six fighters that if he could go through all of those and then retire, he probably would just about surpass Mayweather. So that would be better BF, um, which isn't going to happen. Um, who else would that be? You know, if he did Caleb Plant, Benavidez, Mundo Ramirez. Billy Joe Saunders. Um, oh, Billy Joe Saunders. Um I've got an article coming actually for Boxing Social about Canelo against the you know the best six matchups for Canelo and Billy Joe Saunders in, in there. Paul, I know you're a big believer, but I cannot see any way on God's earth. I think Canelo would absolutely destroy Billy Billy Joe Saunders. Billy Joe Saunders do one arm on his back and and a, and a gammy ankle as well. So you heard it here first. <laughs> This is why I've turned orthodox in the whole fight as well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we want. We want the contention. <laughs> I, I agree with Luke, though, in terms of taking on people in their prime. Um, you've got to respect uh, Alvarez, that he's a multi-weight world champion, but you've also got to see that his timing of choosing opponents has been impeccable. And um, there's certain people that he could have chosen at super middleweight 
um, that wouldn't have been good fight for him at a particular moment in time. And um, I mean, better BF. That's that's not a fight to have. That's yeah. You know, that, that we're, we're talking, um, you know, Duke here out of uh, the Rocky movies, turning around to Apollo and, and saying to him, "This guy is all wrong for you. This guy is all wrong for him. The better BF ain't the guy who wants to be fighting. Yeah, you know, choose someone else. Totally someone else." So. Um, I think he was saying the other day that he's going to renounce his middleweight title and stick with super middle. Um, so, yeah, I, to be honest, whatever Luke writes is going to be gospel. It's going to be very, very <laughs> accurate. So uh, I would say check out Boxing Social and, and see what Luke Williams is going to write on that because it's uh, it's going to be as near as you can to betting odds, you know? Uh, yeah, I think I think that's it for Canelo. It's about... It's just about wins, and it's just about wins over quality fighters for Canelo. It's, there's not much more to it than that, really. It's just about the the thing about, you know, if you're going to compare him to Mayweather, is Mayweather likes to hark about, oh, I've beaten 20, what is it, 26 former world champions or whatever. And that's what Canelo will need. Perhaps not the former world champions, but he'll need. he just needs to keep beating quality fighters. And if he continues to beat quality fighters at the rate he is, then eventually he will surpass Floyd Mayweather. Um but yeah, I think that, another that, way that he could maybe get, you know, one up on Floyd is to be more active than Floyd was, particularly in the later stages of his career. Positive for me if he fights in February, Canelo, and maybe, you know, it'd be great to see him getting out, you know, two, three times a year and just plowing through these guys rather than, you know, once a year or twice a year at most. You know, he, he had a big layoff. He came back. They say he's fighting the mandatory in February. You know, get active, get out there. And the better be a fight. I mean, that's the dream matchup, but really that's got a very limited shelf life because Better Biev's not been active. His current fight's been postponed two or three times, and he's 36, I think. Yeah, he is, yeah. yeah. I was just about so to disappear yeah. soon if it, if it doesn't happen. I, I interviewed Better Biev in, uh, in uh, February, and um, March, sorry, March, and it was supposed to have been for, uh, for the next boxing monthly in may whenever it was and obviously then it got that got axed so i think i ended up by um hannibal thankfully sort of published it but um the guy lives eats speaks um boxing he's him and i didn't realize uh so george uh saint pierre i think it is isn't it the uh the ufc superstar um they're sort of very good mates and um but yeah i i don't know it's it's one of those things if you take away the unbeaten record from a Floyd Mayweather, I'm not sort of tainting that because, you know, it, it takes something to, to win all your fights, but, um, space. <laughs> but yeah, but Chuck in, um, you know, McGregor, I mean, come on. Number one, I, I look at Lennox Lewis as a parallel example here. He got two fights, um, which he lost on his record and he came back and avenged them in, uh, in, in, in sort of, you know, in dynamic style to say the least and he finished off um beating uh, vitali klitschko um where a lot of people are saying oh you know vitali was was winning the scorecards and whatever else lennox always had a way to to find a win he always had a way to, to to flip things around but irrespective he won that fight klitschko had about three and a half million stitches on his face afterwards you know it was uh it, that for me was sowing a better legacy he walked out on the top of the boxing game raw boxing game at the height against a guy who was going to become a hall of famer and uh and that's it there was no dilly dallying around with you know the, the unbeaten records or calling out names over he took out the best and he fought the best and then when he realized he was done he stepped away and that's you know it showed boxing integrity to an extent if that exists anymore yeah it's an interesting point and uh you know i watched that next lewis documentary over over christmas that was a good watch it really really was um 
I mean, you've got to say, I know we were ribbing you, Cow, a bit about Mayweather there, but what we cannot deny, I mean, which, this is, boxing is prize fighting. Economics and making as much money as you can have been bound up with the sport from the start. And in that respect, you know, Mayweather is the undisputed greatest of all time. He's the greatest businessman, the greatest, you know, seller sure. of himself and his talents that there's ever been in the sport. Um, the greatest self-promoter. Um and that's part of what the sport's about. I, I think you know, I, I you know, Mayweather doesn't doesn't need me to bat for him, but I'm easily triggered by this sort of stuff. I just can't help myself. It doesn't take much, you know, just to, to someone just has to say a, just the slightest thing about him, and that's it. My ears are perked up. Um, I think you know there was always the argument: Does McGregor count? McGregor counts. You know, you you look at Rocky Marciano's record. Uh, you look at who's he is, he's Julius Cesar Chavez Senior's record. He was a two-weight world champion and fighting people making their debuts. It counts. Um, but you know, Canelo, Canelo's he could get close. He could get close to him. I don't think he'll surpass him, but I hope he gets really, really close because I love watching him fight. He's a brilliant, brilliant performer. Um, and I agree with you, Luke. I think he's going to walk through Billy Joe Saunders. And I'm not going to give Paul any chance to reply. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much, chaps. I appreciate your time um yeah thank you so much for your time um anything you got coming up that we should that people should look out for um i i've got my my first ever piece for uh ring magazine um, yeah so um you know growing up as a kid there was three magazines on the shelves uh it was boxing news boxing monthly and ring magazine and um uh i funny enough the only one i ever subscribed to uh for for decades was was boxing monthly and um that turned out to be the one that i ended up by writing for for a few years but uh mm. the portal of opportunity came to uh to, to do a piece for um for ring magazine and um and yeah I, I took it so that should be out um anytime now it's it's the february edition which comes out in january so uh so yes yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that um got a few other little bits and pieces I'm doing on the side. I'm still writing for, for British Vintage. I just wrote an article about um, Kirkland Lang, which was great, digging up um, his history. You know, probably one of the Britain's most talented champions to have never won a, uh, a, a world title. And also to find out that uh, um, Kirkland had a brother called Tony, has a brother called Tony, who had about 18 fights. And um, of those 18 fights, I think he only won about 13, but he had a four-fight run where, for Clinton McKenzie twice, first time was for the British title eliminator, beat him, and then the second, the next fight for the European title, and then won the next one for the uh, for the Commonwealth. So he became a British and Commonwealth champion as well in 18 fights, which included four losses. So, so yeah, so Kirkland Lang one was good. So yeah, that's about it. And a few a few other little bits. Hopefully, I get the opportunity to do a few more bits for uh, for Boxing Social as well. People there, it's, it's a lovely vibe going on there. Um, yeah. We'll have, we'll have to see how 2021 comes. I'm really taking everything in my stride at the moment, just bit by bit, you know? Luke, I anything? Michael TV tried to cut off Paul's feed when he was um, praising Boxing Social there. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe Coogs. it was behind the, glo- but behind the gloves. Is that the felt? Yeah. Coogs. Coogs is everywhere. Coogs is everywhere. He's in everybody's internet. Um I've just got that I, I, I do sort of um, seven or eight pieces a month for the boxing social website. So I'm just trying to line up some things for that at the moment and get thinking about those. Um, I got ribbed by Chris Williamson for always plugging my Ike Beabuchi book, but that is out. So you in should. October. <laughs> quality bit of gear. Get it. 
Get the Ike book. Hamill's um, car publishing. Paul, Paul who's well. your ring article with? Are you allowed to say? Um, I, 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 I don't think I should because uh, I don't think it's been announced so okay. far. But uh, let's say it's a, a British fighter. Um, and uh, let's say a very intelligent, educated British fighter who's unbeaten and I really believe will become a world champion. And, uh, yeah, just a lovely guy. I'm sure you guys are cross past him at some point, but um, a former Olympian as well. So you've heard it here first that Paul Zano is going to be interviewing Prince Patel. So <laughs> we're all looking forward to that. Um, so thank, thanks for that, chaps. Uh, thanks for that, chaps. Really appreciate your time. Uh, hope to have you back soon. Um, yeah, thanks. Take care. Thanks a lot for having us on, Cal. Cheers. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.